0: A federal judge struck down Indiana's ban on same-sex marriage Wednesday, saying it is a fundamental right for all people to be able to marry the person they love. Hundreds of couples rushed to county clerk's offices across the state to say their vows. Meanwhile, the Indiana Attorney General has requested a stay which, if granted, could halt same-sex marriages. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll sort out what the judge's ruling means for Hoosiers and for the state and what could happen next. We are joined by the Fair Talk president, the Indiana University GLBT support services coordinator, and a legal expert. And we invite you to join our conversation after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving Southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net.
1: And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. Publichealth.indiana.edu.
0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about the uh, biggest news of the week in Indiana. Uh, A federal judge ruled on Wednesday that Indiana's same-sex marriage ban is unconstitutional, and uh, couples immediately rushed to the city clerk's offices around the state, including uh, we know of 79 couples in Monroe County alone in the last two days, to say their vows and have their marriages legally recognized in Indiana. So this week on Noon Edition, we're going to discuss that ruling and what it means for Hoosiers and for the state in general. we have three guests with us in the studio. Doug Botter is the Indiana University GLBT Support Services Coordinator. And uh, Jean Kapler is here. She is the president of Fair Talk, a grassroots group that has been working to achieve marriage equality for same-sex couples by fostering conversations. And Jean got married on Wednesday after the ban was lifted. Also Deborah Whitus is here. She is her research is uh, focuses on the significance of gender and gender stereotypes in the development of law and government policy. So if you want to give us a call and talk about this issue 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877 285 9348 outside of the Bloomington area, you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org/noonedition and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition so welcome everybody and uh, Jean, congratulations
2: thank you very much <laughs> <All right. laughs> it was a good day yesterday right. yeah. so was it so how, how
0: uh how much notice did you have before you decided cool. you were going to go down and get married
2: well we we found out uh, at noon on uh wednesday and um and so that evening when uh my now wife and I got home. Uh, we talked about it. We were thinking about it, but we wanted to talk in person. And so that night, we we decided to go down at 8 a.m. the next morning. We were hoping that you know, if there was going to be a stay issue, that at least the judge would sleep in and have a long <laughs> cup of coffee before issuing anything, so that we could get down there and get get this done. Mm-hmm. And we started inviting people to come meet us at eight. And there you go. Uh-huh. So less you know, doing a wedding unless. 24 hours. That's, uh, that's pretty,
0: pretty wild. Quick. Yeah, it's pretty quick. You yeah. Know? So, so can you explain? Usually
2: there's a shotgun involved. Well, And, you know, we've been in the midst of wedding planning for uh, several months now because we're planning on getting married. And we thought we were going to do the legal part in Illinois, which is my former home state, um, uh, this coming July. Well, like next month and uh, three weeks away. And so we've been wedding planning. But then we had to shift everything because now we can do this legally in our home state, which is tremendous. And so we just pulled it together.
0: So can you talk a little bit about the importance to you of of having the actual wedding and marriage vows to cement your relationship?
2: You know, um, people have had ceremonies. You know, um, same-sex couples have been having commitment ceremonies. And that is meaningful. I mean, that is saying this is a marriage to us. But to have the legal – to have our our, – to have the access to do what everybody else in our state and society does, which is go down to the courthouse and get hitched. You know, <laughs> get le- and, and yeah, there are a lot of practical and financial and, and legal um, benefits that come with that, but it's also about being part of the society, mm-hmm. being a full human being and being recognized as a couple. And so to be able to walk in and you know get that piece of paper, It's tremendous Mm -hmm. it's like yes i am part of indiana
0: Mm -hmm. all right well doug and um deborah i I want to talk to you a little bit more broadly about the about the implications of this and i know doug you've been working at iu for a long time right 20 years 20 years i mean did you ever think you would see this day in indiana or when did you start thinking you might see this day? It oh in the way. last year or two yeah. i mean the,
3: the handwriting really seemed to be on the wall and i i expected the judge to act as he did sometime this summer but then of course it comes quickly and and everyone rushes uh to celebrate so yeah i i pretty much thought after actually a year ago when the supreme court acted as they did and then one state after another started dealing with this i thought yeah, I was initially a little disappointed that we were twenty, and I thought twenty out of fifty isn't so bad. You know, <laughs> it's in the middle,
0: and that's where Indiana is. You know, right. so anyway, well, I'm celebrating too. All right. Well, and Deborah, from your uh, you know your re- your research, I mean, where does this kind of uh, policy shift, or how how do you think this policy shift happened?
4: Well, I think you know, the the easy marker legally is to point back to the Supreme Court's decision last summer in the case holding that the federal denial of recognition to same-sex marriages was unconstitutional. And the reasoning in that case is very easy to apply to thinking about state bans and why they're also unconstitutional. And that's why you see this wave of decisions in state after state striking down these bans. But really, I think the roots of it go much further back into the sort of the growing recognition that gays and lesbians are part of our community and that they have civil rights that should be enforced and that that's part of the broader civil rights history of our country. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, uh, I want to mention that we did invite uh, Micah Clark of the American Family Association of Indiana to be on the program today. And, you know, not everybody agrees with this decision. Some people in Indiana, um, I've heard from some of them in the last couple of days at my job at the newspaper, uh, totally disagree with what the judge has done and with this whole notion that same-sex couples should be allowed to marry. Uh, Micah Clark sent this statement along, even though he did not want to appear on the program. It says, marriage is something that has always been recognized as the union of men and women for the best interest of children and we hope that the courts recognize that states have an interest in what marriage is and what marriage is not and if it's a free-for-all or an unraveling to whatever anyone desires it to be uh, or if it's what we've always understood is it's an institution um, that serves the best interest of society through unique needs and the unique differences between men and women both of which are important to society. So I hope I did that justice in reading, and I think I might have stumbled a bit. And also I, I did also want to mention there, is a, there has been a request from Attorney General Greg Zeller for a stay, and I guess I'll get to part of what that says in, in a little bit. So how confident are you, uh, Doug, that, that this is going to be the, the law of Indiana for uh, a long time and not just a, a brief window? Yeah, I'm,
3: I'm pretty confident, and that's not based on any legal expertise on my part. It's it's more, again, what we've seen happen the last year, and um, the reaction I've had from people uh, who have contacted the office, just the general sentiment of, you know, you commented in the paper that Bloomington had to be one of the happiest cities in the state. Um, I think there's a lot of happiness around the state and around the country as 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 the last couple of years have unfolded and people have seen pictures of two people of the same gender genuinely loving each other we haven't seen that you know people have images of what it means to be gay and so often the media has done the job of selecting folks from gay pride parades and their their behavior is sometimes um a little questionable so we have these stereotypes out there and all of a sudden we're starting to get you know, images of two people who love each other—the front page of the Herald Times so with the two Jeffs and Marianne Macklin. How anyone can argue that there's not something right about that, I just don't understand. But I think that's the kind of thing, um, and social media, which has helped more and more people say, "This, this is a good thing." And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confident we're, we're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Deborah, what about you?
4: Well, as a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I'm confident in the end we will end up with marriage back in Indiana, or at least I'm relatively confident. I would not be surprised if a stay were issued just because it is a significant change and, you know, it does change the status quo. And in other states where we've seen this, even when the district court judge didn't issue a stay, the higher courts have. So it wouldn't surprise me, but that's really just putting it on pause while the higher courts hear an appeal Ultimately, I do think that the reasoning of Judge Young and the reasoning of all the other courts is sound and that we will end up with the Supreme Court, I hope, um, recognizing that in all states same-sex couples have a right to get married. Mm
1: -hmm. Deborah, we've been talking a lot about the love aspect of this, but as you point out, you know, ultimately it is a legal contract in which people are entering. And so talk a little bit about what that means um, and some of the rights and privileges that are granted as a result of being able to enter into a state-recognized union. Yeah, so really it's the way our society
4: Organizes couples most easily and most automatically. It's how you identify this is the person who I have chosen to spend my life with. And from that stems a lot of rights and benefits um, in terms of when we file our taxes, we file them jointly because governments assume that you're sharing finances and it should be treated as a household. Um, If you're sick, that's the person who presumptively can make decisions. Um, If you're in the hospital, if you die, that's the person who presumptively inherits. There's lots of ways to modify those presumptions, but it's kind of the default Mm -hmm. that our society uses. I do want to sort of emphasize one point, though, which is we're only talking about civil marriage here. That is the state-granted status. It's not about whether churches or any other religious denomination would need to perform same-sex marriages. Religious entities are going, going to be able to make that decision for themselves in accordance with their doctrine and their beliefs. Of mm-hmm. course.
1: And right. um, Let me ask: um, as a result of this, uh, can are are people um, are gay couples, uh, same-sex couples, automatically entitled to uh, the health benefits if their company offers health benefits for a spouse and they choose to? enroll in that or whatever their particular company's rules are about that. Sometimes it's automatic, sometimes it's not. Are they automatically now, because of this, entitled to take advantage of those benefits?
4: I would expect that most companies will do that. There might be a little wiggle room if some company really sought not to, but I would expect that most
2: companies will and have been. That's very relevant for me. (laughs) And maybe you can tell me, Deborah, like what – we should do here because um, I'm in private practice. I'm a social worker, and so I'm self employed. Right now, I have health care, um, a health insurance plan through the Affordable Care Act, um, the marketplace. And I the, i figured it up I'm paying a couple of hundred dollars a month more for this plan than I would if I could be on my wife's insurance. But I don't know if a stay is going to happen. And if a stay happens, I think that the state does not have to consider us married while the decision is stayed. And so I don't know. I mean, if if I knew that the state was going to recognize us, I'd be applying to get on her health insurance now if I could. Um, and s- any advice? <laughs> <laughs> well, and first off, so if she's working
4: for a private employer, that employer themselves has discretion as to whether or not they would want to recognize you in the sense that employers have long, some employers have chosen to recognize domestic partners for Mm -hmm. a long time, even without marriage. Um, Most employers do use marriage as a bright line Mm -hmm. rule, which is why I think once these marriages happen, most employers will just go ahead and provide benefits. Unfortunately, I have to say, sort of given the uncertainty of whether a stay would be Mm -hmm. issued and then how Indiana would react to a Mm -hmm. stay if it is issued it may not be advisable right now to, to rush to change yeah. your well, policy, which is unfortunate and it's just an example yeah. of the broader import, uh, you know, and the practical side as well as sort of the, the bigger picture.
2: Yeah, my, my wife actually works for the state of Indiana um, and I'm guessing that the state of Indiana is not gonna jump to um, uh, allowing her to cover me like, she w- like other people cover their wives. I I
4: would assume that that is a safe (laughs) guess, Um, and that you might just have to wait and see how the legal situation plays out for a little bit more. Just keep writing out those checks.
1: Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. yes.
3: (laughs) I just wanted to pick up on something Deborah had said um, regarding the response to this from uh, – and the freedom that is being allowed for religious institutions that they're not bound. It's important to recognize that while um, obviously people interpret scripture in lots of different ways, there are a number of faith communities and religious leaders who are thrilled with this decision. People who who have been conducting um, blessing services or weddings um, um, in their own tradition, even though it wasn't legal. And um, I have a background as a former pastor. I've done several dozen uh, gay weddings as well as straight weddings over the years. and it makes a difference for people when they're in that setting. Um, I can remember one gentleman coming up to me after a ceremony saying he he had sworn he would never attend a gay wedding in his life, and he felt compelled to do that because of the nephew who was being married. He said, this service was of God. He said, I, I am ashamed at my attitude, and what happened today was certainly a, a deeply spiritual experience. And I think, again, those kinds of things are happening. So it's not just an economic, a legal. You know, it is a spiritual experience for at least some people and who, who see this act again, this legal act, as a very positive thing.
0: All right. You're listening to Noon Edition today on WFIU, and we are talking about the effects of legalizing same-sex marriage in Indiana. You can join the discussion by calling 855-0811 in Bloomington or... Toll free 1-877-285-9348 if you're anywhere outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org/noonedition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noonedition.
1: Deborah, I want to ask about uh, Davies County Clerk Sherry Healy, who says there's a gray area between the federal court ruling and an order from the state to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. And she came was very upfront and also said that you know she has very deeply held religious beliefs that also prevent her from, or she feels prevent her from being able to to uh, comply with, well, I suppose it's still at some point debatable at some level. But anyway, so she's not, she'll, so she's currently denying licenses in, in Davies County, at least at press time. So... Um, Where do, I mean, this is kind of um, along the same lines as pharmacists who choose not to um, fill prescriptions for things that they find objectionable from a religious perspective. Where does the law stand on personal beliefs of these clerks who say, "Hmm, no, so sorry, I can't go along with this. Um, So there's a couple different
4: issues there. One is, you know, I know most counties are now issuing the marriage licenses. Some are not, and I think the main point that the counties that are not issuing the marriage licenses yet is that the judge's ruling officially ordered the clerks in the counties where the couples who had brought the various lawsuits were from. So the judge's order technically only applies directly to those, ca- those counties. Now the reasoning would be the same mm. in any county. So. Some of the counties, I think, have not begun issuing marriage licenses, not because of religious objections, um, but instead just kind of waiting for more direct orders from a central state administrator about sort of what to do about this ruling. Um, And I think that will be worked out soon. In terms of, you know, sort of individuals who feel that performing the ceremony or granting the licenses would be counter to their religious beliefs, it's a... um, it's an unsettled area of law. The Supreme Court is actually hearing um, a case that has to do with whether a company can r- refuse to provide contraceptive coverage because of the religious beliefs of the owners of the company. So, it's it's hard to predict exactly how the lines will settle there because it's a very sort of unsettled area of First Amendment law.
3: A, a at twist this point. on that issue is the group of. United Church of Christ pastors in North Carolina who are suing the state of North Carolina for their anti-gay marriage uh, legislation because they feel it violates their religious freedom. Their, the freedom that should be theirs to officiate at weddings of same-gendered people. <laughs> so that's an interesting twist. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that'll end up with the Supreme Court, but you know, there's another perspective on
4: it. I do also want to highlight, and I I can't remember the county, but I did see a statement from a clerk in a different county who actually made a very nice distinction. She said, you know, according to my religious beliefs, I don't actually believe that two women should be able to get, to get married or two men should. But I see my job here in court and as, you know, in enforcing the Constitution as it's interpreted by the courts. And in the criminal context, I do all sorts of things for criminal defendants, you know, in terms of enforcing their constitutional rights that I often you know, find kind of objectionable in terms of at least what it's alleged that they have done. But I recognize that that's my job. And here I'm helping people get married. Mm-hmm. And maybe it doesn't match my religious beliefs, but I see it as mm-hmm. part of my job to act according to the Constitution as it's been interpreted.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this all comes down to the challenge of living as a community and how are we gonna We're we're not all the same we all have different opinions about things and deeply held beliefs about things Mm -hmm. Um, and how are we gonna going to live as a community and make room for everybody and you know for a particular clerk to effectively shut the door in the face of couples that are coming to do what they now have been deemed legally able to do is not about living in community and making room for everybody. I, there are lots of people that have beliefs that I strongly disagree with or am offended by, and you know I wanna make room for them, but I need room too to live my life as I see fit. I, that just seems at the core of what you know we're about as a state and a nation.
0: Two quick things. One, uh, before I left the office today, we were looking at a map. I think not 82 of the 92 Indiana counties had had already issued licenses. I think there were 10 that had not as of maybe 10, 10 o'clock this morning. Um, and the other thing, I wanted uh, Deborah, I wanted you to just sort of define a stay. I think a lot of people don't know exactly yeah, what good that
4: point. is. Yeah. So. It basically would put the judge's order on hold while an appeal progresses. It wouldn't undermine the judge's reasoning that according to the judge, You know, when it looked at the marriage law, it said there's not a good enough reason to be telling same-sex couples they can't get married and it's unconstitutional. But that ruling can be appealed. It can be appealed first to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which is kind of an intermediate appellate court. And then whichever side loses at the Seventh Circuit, they could ask the Supreme Court to review it. And as we all know, other cases are pending around the country that might go up to the Supreme Court as well. So essentially a stay would just put the judge's order on hold while that appeal progressed.
0: Okay. We have a phone call, so we're going to go uh, to, well, we're in Bloomington. We're going to stay in Bloomington with Stan. Stan, yeah. go ahead.
3: Uh, I have a question. Uh, my
0: memory's not that good, but it seems to me there was a court case not so long ago where a uh, state trooper objected to serving on a uh, gambling boat because it was against his personal beliefs. And and if I'm not mistaken, the, the case was settled with a judge ruling that he had to perform his official duties or else he could uh, leave the job. Uh, Is is
3: that true? Is that not the same situation with these clerks uh, who who inject their private beliefs onto their public responsibilities?
0: Deborah, how about a legal opinion on that? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
4: Well, I'm not familiar with that particular case, so I can't sort of comment on it specifically. Um, Generally speaking, yes, individuals are expected to perform their official duties. There have been sometimes in the abortion and other contexts some carve outs for religious objections, and I think that you know different states where where it's been legislatures that have acted to legalize same sex marriage as opposed to courts. Many of the states have enacted certain kinds of religious exemptions. Um, so I think it's going to be worked out in the courts exactly how we do do that balance um, of living together in this community.
1: I see. Thank you. Thank you, Stan. Thanks, Stan. So. The marriages that have been performed so far in this brief window, is the state obligated to recognize those regardless of what happens henceforth? Um, that Let's break that apart a little okay. bit.
4: <laughs> so in other states where courts issued decisions and marriages happened and then a stay came later, um, some of those states have chosen not to recognize the marriages that happened during those windows. So Utah is the case where this was the biggest issue Mm because it was a long period of time where many marriages happened. And Utah has taken the position that it will not recognize those marriages for state law purposes until the appeal is complete. There's actually a separate legal challenge pending about whether or not the state could refuse to recognize these marriages. That's totally separate from the also pending appeal about whether Utah could deny the right to marry in the first place. Mm. The federal government, though, took the position that it would recognize the Utah marriages, and I think it's also recognized marriages from Michigan and Wisconsin and some other states where marriages happened again in these windows. So I think um, the federal government, I would expect, would recognize the Indiana marriages that are happening now. They also are legal marriages, so I think if couples go to a state that does recognize same-sex marriage, they would consider all these couples to be married um, because they were lawful marriages now Mm -hmm. as they're happening. Mm -hmm. Um, There just might be, Indiana might take the position that it it wouldn't recognize them and then that could be
2: challenged as well or maybe the whole thing will get resolved before that separate issue. Can I ask you a question related to that? Because there are different states that recognize marriage for same-sex couples and other states that don't. And um, and the states that don't typically will not, and you know, even if you're re- married in a different state, when you're in that state, they don't recognize it. So um, my wife and I are going to be going on vacation to California within the next year. I have my brother lives out there and we're going to be traveling through a number of states, some of which recognize our marriage and some of which don't. So what happens, let's say, if we're in a car wreck in a state mm-hmm. that doesn't recognize our marriage? Do we have to carry papers with us for, like, you know, a health care representative? I mean, is it like we're married? Oh, we crossed the state line. Nope, oh, we're not married. Oh, now we yes. are? Unfortunately, it is kind of like that. They flicker
4: on and off. It's very peculiar. You know, <laughs> um, and, and so it is still good practice to carry those kinds of papers with you, mm-hmm. um, just In case, that said, I think especially as we see so many more states recognizing marriage, even in states that have laws on point that say they won't recognize it, I think increasingly you see hospitals and other entities just saying, all right, we recognize that this couple is married and we're going to treat them as married. Even in Indiana, you know, before this change in our law, when the state fair, when there was that stage collapse mm-hmm. and there was a couple from Illinois that had a domestic partnership that was there, um, in in dealing with the fallout of that tragedy, um, you know, the court and the, the administrator of the fund that was dealing with victims did recognize the relationship. So I, I do think that human the humanity is coming through and even in those states that have non-recognition clauses increasingly those marriages are
2: being recognized but that does
3: point to the importance of federal response to these things
2: well in you know i i asked the question about the legality of it you know married not married married not married i have to, to say that the emotional impact of married, not married, married, not married, when we're talking about something as special and precious to me as my marriage to my wife, to say that, first of all, my home state, well, well, this thing is on stay if it's stayed. It, you know, okay, we go back to, well, Indiana says we're not actually married. And so that marriage license that you have is effectively taken away and going on vacation in some states recognizes it. I mean, gosh, that just hurts my heart.
4: Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I think
4: that increasingly people are, are feeling that and recognizing that. And there actually is a separate set of legal arguments That says, you know, whatever, however, the question of whether you have a right to get married is resolved, there should be a right to stay married, (laughs) you know, so that if you do get married in a state where it was lawful, and especially if it's your home state, that that's a real marriage and you should be able to keep it. And there's a real interest in that and not so much countervailing. Right. On the other side, it has, you know, because the, the cases about the right to get married have been progressing so quickly and so uniformly that other theory hasn't really been tested out much. But I do think you're, you're articulating something that's very real, which is, mm-hmm. you know, there's something really hurtful about having a marriage and then having a state say it won't recognize it that's different. From the harm of living in a state that chose not to permit it in the first place.
2: My my wife and I have been together going on 17 years. And, you know, a lot of states um, had started to um, marry same sex couples. And it wasn't until the DOMA decision last summer um, that, where the federal government now will recognize our marriages, I, I could not fathom going to another state and getting married. I wasn't sure how I could drive back across the state line back into Indiana and have our marriage license completely disappear effectively because neither the, the state nor the nation would recognize it. But when DOMA was decided... And at least our federal government would recognize our marriage. That changed it for me. And then when my home state of Illinois uh, ratified marriage equality last November, uh, then we could not only have the federal government recognize our marriage, but we could get married in my former home state that had some meaning. So it didn't feel like we were being exiled to uh, having elopement. We could actually have a wedding. And so we've been planning our wedding in Illinois, for the past several months, um, and we were going to do the legal deed there too, mm-hmm. as well as the ceremony, A- and then we had the opportunity to get married in now my home state here, and so we took it. But we're still having that ceremony. But I, you know. Having your license just disappear and be meaningless is just, it strikes at your heart so deeply that I wasn't sure I'd be able to drive back into Indiana. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: All right. We're going to have to take a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition. And today we're talking about the legalization of same-sex marriage here in the state of Indiana. You can share your opinions on this topic by joining the live chat at wfiu.org/noonedition or you can call us 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area we will be right back welcome back to noon edition i'm bob zaltzberg from the herald times along with co-host mary Catherine carmichael and our three guests today doug Bauder, who is the indiana university glbt support services coordinator Gene Kappler, the president of Fair Talk, a grassroots group that has been working to achieve marriage equality for same-sex couples by fostering conversations. And Deborah Whitus, who's on the faculty of the Maurer School of Law here at Indiana University. Her research focuses on the significance of gender and gender stereotypes in the development of law and government policy. If you wanna join us, please phone 855-0811 in Bloomington or one 285 9348 outside of the Bloomington area. Or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition.
1: I wonder if it would be wise to just kind of review, um, Deborah, if you will, some of the benefits that marriage provides to same-sex couples. Because there's really quite a lot at stake here.
4: There is. Um, Well, it's a long list. So um, I think there's 614 or something different provisions in Indiana law that reference marriage, something over 600. It's actually been counted. It was actually a group of students at our law school uh, did a project where they counted them all. That's amazing. Um, And there's more than a thousand different benefits and privileges and obligations under federal law that reference marriage. So,
1: (laughs) I could not list them all. Okay, but not the list, which apply to children, which I think is something that, you know, more and more same-sex couples um, are having children. And so this is of extreme importance to those folks, I would
4: think. It is, and it's important to sort of provide the stability to the parental unit, For same-sex couples that are raising kids, there's benefits that are designed to make it easier to raise kids, and one of the primary arguments um, against granting marriage rights to same-sex couples has had to do with kids, but really there's been reams of research now showing that kids raised by same-sex couples do as well on sort of all the key measures as kids raised by different sex couples. it's there were ways in which um, same-sex couples in Indiana raising kids together could both be recognized as parents even before this decision because the laws of parentage are somewhat distinct um, from the laws of marriage, but it helps the pieces all fit together mm-hmm. more neatly.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, I wanted to mention that we did invite representatives from the American Family Association, Advance America, and clerk's offices that are refusing to marry same-sex couples uh, to be on the program or to discuss the topic with us, and they all declined to participate. Um, I read a statement from Micah Clark of the American uh, Family Association of Indiana earlier, and I think Doug might have a reaction to that, but first, before we go on, I want to read an excerpt from the emergency motion to stay or postpone the judge's decision. It says, until the United States State's Supreme Court determines that traditional marriage laws such as Indiana's are unconstitutional. It is premature to require Indiana to change its definition of marriage and abide by this Court's conception of marriage. Nonetheless, marriages in violation of Indiana's existing law have taken place, are taking place, and will continue to take place pursuant to this Court's order. Time is of the essence to stop these marriages by staying this court's final judgment and all related injunctions pending appeal in order to maintain the historic status quo of man-woman marriage that Indiana and its citizens have adopted. So that's the position taken by um, the attorney general's office, Greg Zeller's office, in asking for a stay. So. Hmm wanted to explain that so doug uh you have the copy of Micah clark's statement i know you wanted to have a reaction to well,
3: it well I, I, from two perspectives one of the things about marriage being uh, uh recognized always recognized as a union of men and women. I I understand what's behind that and the argument for that, but marriage has been defined in lots of different ways in lots of different cultures. Um, You know, up until 67, we all know um, people uh, of different races couldn't marry in this culture in the United States. So uh, marriage has been redefined in lots of ways over The years, And even if you're looking at it from a biblical perspective, what was marriage in the Old Testament with multiple wives for the patriarchs um, was not what marriage has become to be known. So that's one thing I would argue. But the the other uh, argument about the best interest of the children, we know not all couples want to raise children. Not all couples do. That marriage is about more than just children. But for those of us who have children, and I'm one, I'm a father and a grandfather. My children are very well cared for, and they have grown up to be wonderful people. And so, you know, that argument just doesn't really make sense. And as you were saying, Deborah, the research that's out there is that kids who are who are raised in same-gendered parent families um, are um, are as much uh, or as a um, uh, healthy and and. Uh, profitable citizens as, as uh, those raised in heterosexual relationships. In fact, I've seen some studies that said just kids in that sort of setting are a little more open to the diversity in our culture. And um, so I, I understand where he's coming from. I understand the old argument there, but I think we really need to recognize that um, marriage means many different things in different places, and uh, kids do fine in same-gendered relationships.
2: Well, and, you know, I, I'm i a, a realist. I feel like we need to deal with what is. And what is is that there are thousands and thousands of same-sex couples raising kids. There are tens of thousands of kids being raised by parents that are in a same-sex relationship. And they have to live in this world. And these marriage bans hurt them. If, if you have a problem with their parents, okay, but this is hurting those kids that are, are being crazy. raised in those families today. And their families need protection for the benefit of the kids. You know, even if on moral grounds you're against their parents' relationship, the kids are being raised. The kids aren't going to disappear just because a marriage ban is in place. They're just going to be hurt.
3: We're fortunate in Monroe County to have a number of judges who see the value of the of g- the gay couples and lesbian couples who've done foster parenting in amazing ways and often are uh, the, the folks who the judges turn to for help in situations like that. So, uh, again, we see it from that perspective.
1: Deborah, I want to get back to the stay for just a minute. Um, tell me what's involved in mounting this kind of an effort to um, – once the state has, well, it, is, it has been. It's been uh, requested. Yes, thank you. Been requested. So now what? And what kind of, uh, I mean, does the Attorney General handle this himself? Does he hire extra attorneys to help out. I'm just wondering, from a, almost from a cost perspective, mm-hmm. what's involved for citizens of the state of Indiana in pursuing this further? So, there, so
4: again, there's the stay and then there's the appeal. So the Attorney General could be choosing to appeal the ruling without asking for a stay. And then if the appellate court reversed, then that probably would stop the marriages. But they don't need to be separately seeking the stay. Um, I believe I have read that it's being handled primarily in-house by the Attorney General's office. So I don't think there is a sort of specific outflow of public money. And I mean, I will say this is an important issue. People disagree. I personally think that the judge was correct in his reasoning and it's in accordance with where most of the, you know, almost every single one of the federal judges who has issued a decision since the Supreme Court's decision last year came down. But it is an issue where there are arguments that can be made on the other side. And I don't think that it's unreasonable for the attorney general's office to be at least appealing the decision and asking for a decision by a higher court. That is the way our court structure is set up so that you have you know, many matters handled by trial courts, but that is just one judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the system is set up so that you can ask for an appeal to at least three judges, um, and then you can seek... And see if the Supreme Court would grant a, re- a review after that. So, so I don't think there's anything unreasonable
1: mm-hmm.
4: in appealing. Um, again, that's a somewhat different question from whether or not to seek the stay. Yeah.
1: So well, clearly, he's he's within well within his rights to pursue what he's pursuing. I know that you can call the AG's office um, uh, and voice your opinion. I have the phone number if anybody's interested. It's three one seven two three two. 6201, you just hit one for English if you wish to speak in English, and then five, and a person answers the phone, and you can say, yes, I'd like the Attorney General to continue to pursue this matter, or no, I would prefer it if the Attorney General not pursue this matter. I know there are a lot of people who have strong opinions but don't know uh, anyway, constructive to voice them, so I offer that as an option. And I, I will just add also there are states where the Attorney General has chosen
4: not to appeal after decisions have come down, and I think that's a totally reasonable position to take too to look at it and say, really, I do think that the analysis here is correct and that this is an unconstitutional
2: law, and therefore I'm not going to appeal it. So, you know, as someone who just got married yesterday, um I have to say that you know the attorney general it may be within his rights and his duties to you know appeal this and ask for a stay and do all of that. What it feels like is that the guy who my tax dollars are paying his salary is using my tax dollars to stamp out my marriage <laughs> that's what it feels like, um, and that doesn't feel good
3: <laughs> just a practical uh, note. Um, it was really difficult to get through to that number yesterday um, but Uh, Thanks for sharing that, and I encourage people to keep trying if they have a strong opinion.
0: All right. We have about 10 minutes to go in the program, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have comments or questions, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Uh, Doug, you referenced the 1967 decision, which basically – shot down the idea that states could ban interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I ha- I kind of think from talking to my, the younger people on on the staff that we have at the HT, as well as looking at several surveys and polls around the country, that there's a real generational divide on this issue.
3: Absolutely. And it's the younger generation, I think, are teaching the older generation to at least think this through. We had... Well over a hundred students uh, from IU who were part of the Freedom Indiana um, organization. Now, there was a community group as well, but this was a student group that used our office three nights a week and Sunday afternoon. And I, I got to. They, it was after hours, but I'd stick around and talk to them sometimes. And I was just impressed with how passionate they felt about this, how much they saw it as a civil rights issue, how many of them were not gay, but they saw this as the civil rights issue of of their generation, and I'm remembering one uh, gentlemen who... And, and I'm remembering the fact that they got hung up on when they called people because they were basically calling citizens to encourage them to think about the value of marriage equality. And if they believed that, to talk to their and they legislators. And they talked to some people who've never done anything like that. They talked to some people who were willing to at least give them their ear. And pe- some people listened and changed their mind. There was one particular case of an older woman who... Who said I have never called a legislator in my life? But I appreciate the time you've taken to explain to me what this is about. I'm going to call my legislator. So um, I I salute those students and uh, who who see this as not just some political act, but as a you know as a justice issue and um, who have gotten involved. We're learning a lot from the younger generation.
2: You know the the statistics uh, support that generational divide, but I can also say that. Um, even amongst the older generations, um, there is room for for changing their minds, and they do.
3: You know and that from your experience. I, with you Fair know Talk.
2: my, my uh, this group that I'm involved with, Fair Talk. I, we're we're based around the idea of having honest, respectful, heartfelt conversations with each other around this issue. Um, I believe that's the only thing that will really begin to change people's minds um and you know sharing our stories um both straight and gay and um and i've seen that movement happen through those conversations you know my 81 year old aunt is going to come to our wedding in illinois um and would have come to the deed yesterday if she could have gotten it down here um and you know before I came out to her, she hadn't really thought about these issues, and and um, and even I had a conversation with her a number of years ago. She has treated Jenny and I as a couple all these years, and um, about three four years ago, was talking with her about you know, gosh, I just wish we could get married. She's like, well, Jean, you know, um, marriage is a man and a woman, and I was flabbergasted you know because of how she has accepted me and loved me and treated us as a couple but i'd never had the conversation with her and so uh, the next week we went down had another conversation i told her what it felt like and um to not be able to get married the next day she thought about it some more um and she got it she got it and she's changed on that.
0: Right. Well, you know, when I mentioned it's a generational divide, I think if you look at the statistics, it's not only that, but it, but there's been such a radical change in thinking over the last of all generations. Basically, I think the the study I was uh, that I'm recalling was I think it showed that like 70 percent of people eighteen to thirty four mm-hmm. favor same sex mm-hmm. marriage, um, and the in the older generations. Um, the the numbers were were shifting significantly, but they were only up into the maybe fifty two, fifty three, fifty four percent, something like that. But they were still a majority, and that's just been over the last few years.
3: And I would suggest part of that change is all about social media and and people communicating with each other at that level, seeing these images mm-hmm. out there. And
0: mm-hmm. yeah, all right, we have a phone call, and it's uh, it's Jenny from Bloomington. Yes. Hi, Jenny.
2: Hi. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Yeah, I'm very interested in your program. And I'm curious about, uh, you know, is there any study about the same-sex marriage, marriage, couples easier to communicate and less troubles?
0: I don't know, we'll see. Well, our panelists?
2: Well, what I know about the research on same-sex couples and communication patterns and such, um, there, there are a couple of studies su- that suggest that sometimes the communication can be more open than in uh, different sex couples. But there aren't a lot of studies on that. On overall relationship health and all the measures of a relationship health, uh, same-sex couples score out just as healthy as heterosexual couples. Um, so I think
0: that might be one of the points to make too is that I mean we're talking about kids. I mean they are kids that grow up in in what you'd call a traditional family setting and things just are, don't work out, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know and there I'm sure there are same-sex couples that don't work out there are different sex couples that, we know the divorce rate is very high with different sex couples so it's it's uh, I think generally we're talking in this marriage equality discussion. The issue is, should there be equality among people?
2: Right,
3: yeah. Jenny. I, I would I guess I'm the only person on the panel here who was previously married to a woman and now in a partnered relationship. Uh, Marty and I have not gotten married yet, but um, all I will say, and so I don't I haven't read a lot of the the research. I I have heard some about some of the studies. All I can say is it's hard work either way. Uh, but it's also it's it's yeah. also worth it. Right. You know, relationships yeah. are so important and when I was single for a while between marriage and then coming out and coming to terms with being gay, the one thing I wanted in my life right. was to have someone to share the ups and downs, the everyday stuff with and that makes life really rich for me.
2: Right, right. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, All right, Jenny.
0: All right, Jenny. If you have a quick call uh, with a comment or a question, 8550811 or 1-877-285-9348, or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition.
1: I'd just like to know, you know, this has been, it, it felt like it came kind of out of the blue. It wasn't a topic that uh, a lot of people had on the front of their minds just at this time of year, and then the decision comes out. So I just, I'd really just like to know your immediate reaction when you heard the news from each of you, actually, if you
2: don't mind. You know, I I was um, in a a local co-op grocery store here in in Bloomington uh, getting ready to meet a friend for lunch, and uh, another friend of mine texted me the news, and I knew that this decision was going to come down any day now. I had heard rumors, Mm -hmm. and I figured that it was going to come down the way it did. I thought it would be a positive ruling for us. So I was expecting it and I burst into tears in the middle of the store and just could not stop crying for a while and had thankfully my friend showed up and I could go out and talk with her, and you know, get myself back together. And I walked around in a dazer. I went down to the the Justice Building. My then partner, soon to be wife, could not get off work that afternoon. Otherwise, we might have popped down there. So, but I had to be there, and I was out there. And people that I knew were coming out and getting married right there on the steps. And I got to, you know, sign off as a witness on one couple's uh, marriage certificate. And I, I was just—I was shot the rest of the day. You know, I, I was supposed to go to work, but I wasn't worth much. Uh, it was just incredible.
0: Well. Uh, Doug, what were things like in your office? Um, I
3: was out of the office to get my uh, parking pass renewed um, when I saw a text from an IDS reporter, and then the manager of the the uh, IDS said, "Please call us back immediately." And I knew what had happened. (laughs) Uh And and the next, and, and I I talked. I said, "Please explain to me what you know. I'll give you a response, but tell me what's going on." And the very next call I got was from my son, who's um quite the political activist and he was so excited for us and uh, again we haven't made a decision about when and where we'll or how we'll get married but um he I, I was just so pleased about that. Then I got back to the office, and again, a, an HT reporter called and said, I imagine you're being surround, or overwhelmed by uh, media calls. I said, no, I'm being overwhelmed by students who want to be Hoosiers today, who want to be back here, who want to talk to, who wa- want to celebrate this, gay and straight students who were just thrilled that it had happened. And uh, so it, 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 was a, it was a day-long mm-hmm. celebration for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Deborah?
4: Um, well, so I was at a lunchtime talk on something totally unrelated and then came back and found piles of emails and calls um, in my what inbox yeah. from reporters. And so, for me, actually, so I answered questions from reporters about the legal implications, and the, the most special part of it for me was then last night I went out to dinner with friends who had just gotten married yesterday, mm-hmm. and that was a chance for me to to respond to it on a personal level and to celebrate with my friends as opposed to answering all these mm-hmm. nitpicky questions about the stay and what it will or won't mean if it happens, but just to celebrate it as an event and, mm-hmm. and be happy for the people in my life. There
3: was a party over at the Unitarian Church. Mm-hmm night of uh, a wednesday evening and it, it was as about impromptu as can be there were probably a hundred plus mm-hmm. people there and uh food galore i don't know where it all came from in two hours but it was there and uh, one of the uh straight gentlemen who's a member of that congregation said i've been here for in this room for a lot of celebrations none is sweeter than this one tonight." Mm-hmm. all
0: right we're going to end with that so i want to thank you uh, all for being here doug Bodder and gene kapler and deborah whitis thanks a lot for you were, you were great. It was a great panel today for producer Lacey Scarmana, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Mary Catherine Carmichael
5: and Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. You can find podcasts of this and other WFIU programs at WFIU.org.
0: Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving Southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net.
1: And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.